resolutions. I'm not really interested in doing that, right? Or even goals. Like, I'm not much of a goal setter. Like, that just is not, I'm for as type A as I am, like, there's something about that that doesn't resonate. I love words, though. And I love talking about words and I love reading and I love writing. And so the the idea of picking one word that I could focus on each year that would be just a companion, right? That I would, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk through this particular year, this manufactured timeline that we have and see what can I learn, right? What can I learn from having this word as my partner? As you approach the new year, Do you focus on results-oriented New Year's resolutions, or do you prefer to set broader intentions for the year? You may prefer the 90-day approach to planning the new year with your 12-month goals guiding you during your quarterly planning. Ah, and then there are all the new journals and planners and scrapbooking and vision boards and other things we can use to document our growth and our memories of the year. So much fun stuff to buy. And I don't knock these choices. (laughs) I can collect all the supplies and notebooks and journals with the best of you. And I love a good calendar and planning things out. And I know if you know me and you work with me, you know I plan out far and appreciate a good system that helps me manage all the things. But in a time when we're overbooked, overcommitted, and weighed down by all that's going on in the world, these messages promising the results we crave can make us vulnerable to feeling like we're doing something wrong for feeling out of sorts because we do not do life in a prescribed manner. And these burden messages telling us how we can have our best life ever reach an all-time crescendo at the end of the calendar year. Yet, finding a focused practice for examining how you manage your time and making decisions that align with your values and how you live life and experience life can delight you while also bringing clarity in a chaotic world. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader the show that goes deep with humans who navigate life's challenges and lead in their own ways. Our goal is to learn how they address the burdens they carry, how they learn from them, and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. I love the beginning of the year feeling that fresh start, right? And as a kid, I would romanticize the New Year feeling as it gave me hope for the future and relief from what was weighing me down. It felt tidier and like a new chance. And oh, do I love a new planner. And I have a few calendars online and paper that help me organize everything. Now we can put so much effort into planning that it tricks our nervous system into believing we've actually done the thing and accomplished the task. And As the years went on and my responsibilities piled on, hello adulting, I tried to capture that feeling of hope through all the varied techniques, programs, and practices related to planning for the new year. Now, understandably, my focus and hopes for the new year changed as I grew. And like many, I searched for that magic formula to master my time management, health, and business goals. And I noticed Sometimes earlier on in my adulthood, I would wait until the new year to start fresh 
which sometimes complicated my resolutions. Like I was just waiting to get going and it kind of felt like all or nothing. The temptations for quick fixes and extreme shifts of new plans and programs and processes sounded great, but only colluded with this negative feedback loop myself and so many I know could get into. Now, I learned quickly how resolutions can often land as ineffective, especially when they're rigid, focused on external ideals or too aspirational. And as I gained more experience in my clinical work, I would see how the messaging around resolutions and the quote, new you messaging could often be dangerous as they most often focus on changing your body with extreme fasts or dietary plans or exercise plans. Now, I want to be clear, I'm all for making changes in our well-being, but the diet culture industry plays on the pain many people feel in their bodies and frankly feels very grifty, even with rebranded, quote, lifestyle changes lingo. Now, to be honest, an overburdened calendar in life were among the most significant issues that prevented me from keeping my commitments to myself. And I suspect many of you can relate to that. And I'll discuss this awareness more in my upcoming annual debrief of the year episode. So make sure you check that out. Just had to put that in there. <laughs> but some of this overcommitment comes from the normalizing of living such an overcommitted life. And most people don't stick to their resolutions because they're not realistic or aligned. And so many offerings around helping us plan for the new year are a recipe for failing in our hopes for the end of the year plans. Now, when it comes to shifting to more of an intention focus over resolutions, many good intentions blurred into the demands of life because they weren't planned out or connected to my bigger goals in actionable ways that aligned with my values. In fact, it really was years before I could detach from the end of the year messaging and seductive promises and become clear on my own values the numbers and budgets and priorities. And all of the noise around the end of the year planning left me with this faux feeling of a fresh start as I pushed through my aspirational visions of what I desired in work and life without making any substantive changes. It was effortful versus strategic. As my relationship with resolutions and tensions and planning evolved, things really clicked when I heard about the one word project and incorporated that into my end-of-the-year reflections and forward-thinking planning. However, there was a shift when I started focusing on incorporating one word as my focus for the year. I learned about this approach from my guest today, and I learned that when I integrated these words into a combination of my values and overarching commitments for the year, I started to feel more connected to my focus in all areas of my life on a daily basis basis. Now, this unburdened leader conversation covers way more territory than just my guest one word project that she founded. We cover her business practices, how she tells stories, and how she integrates her values into her daily life. But for me, when I reflect on my words of the year over the past several years, I see how this micro focus helped me connect with my commitments and values in a fresh and focused way. And I'm grateful for this approach because it continues to delight me while offering me this new focus against the many pulls 
life brings to take me away from the things I want to do, how I want to grow, heal, and change. Now, Allie Edwards is the founder and CEO of Allie Edwards Designs. Her passion resides in that very special place where the stories and images of life intersect. Her work includes writing, photography, teaching, and memory-keeping product design. Allie also started the One Word Project back in 2006, and her approach to New Year practices has been a game-changer for me. You can learn more about Allie and her work at www.allieedwards.com. Now for our conversation today, pay attention to how Allie talks about her commitment to noticing and telling stories. Notice when Allie talks about the meaning behind why she documents her life and runs a business helping others do the same. And listen for Allie's guardrails around her practice and work so things do not consume her in ways that move her away from her values. All right, y'all, now please welcome Allie Edwards to the Unburdened Leader podcast. Allie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've been looking forward to this conversation, so thank you. I have too. Since I started the show, you were in the back of my mind, and I I have a confession to make because we're going to get into some creativity here. But, um, you know, a lot of people call what you do scrapbooking, but it's really, it's bigger than that. And I want to hear more about that. But I will confess that I am, I have a PhD in buying scrapbooking supplies. I, I buy them. I store them. I organize them. I distribute them sometimes. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. hosting workshops. Using them, it's been a whole other thing. So I'm curious you know, your style of memory keeping, you've been doing this for a couple of decades when you, your firstborn was just a year old. And so a lot of people think of this as a hobby, a pastime, therapy, therapeutic, but what was the turning point for you where this memory keeping turned from a hobby to building your own company and leading a team that supported selling your customized brand of memory making tools and education resources? This was never the plan. This was never, <laughs> this was not, there were, you know, my, my, uh, my original plan in my life, my, you know, 23 year old self or however old I was, I, I have a degree in American history and literature and government. That was my bachelor's degree. And then I ended up going back to school, uh, because I didn't want to be an attorney. So that was the path that I was on originally. And my parents were, um, had high expectations, high expectation family. Um, didn't want to be an attorney, went back to school actually and uh, got a graphic design degree from a community college. And the first day that I sat in that classroom for that specific program and listened to the teacher, I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And um, time passed a little bit and I got married and, and had my son Simon. At that point in time, the plan, the life plan was I will be a stay-at-home mom and I will have five kids. And uh, But after uh, Simon was born, I wanted to make a baby book. Like I just, you know, I didn't, didn't plan to work. I planned to be supported by my husband, very traditional, you know, set up. That's how my family was. That's how his family was, that kind of thing. Um, so after Simon, our, my first son was born in 2002, I was wanting to do something, you know, creative or something that was the words and photos. I didn't need to work. I didn't need to do graphic design in the traditional sense at that time. Um, and I just 
started making stuff. And I had visited a website online that at that time was called Two Peas in a Bucket. It doesn't exist anymore. But it was a really big scrapbooking website back in those early 2000s. And I saw people that were doing more mo- a more modern take on scrapbooking than I envisioned in my head. Like I'm not... I'm not really a cutesy kind of person in general. Like I don't, you know, it's I don't want little ducks or or things like that. Like I am much more attracted to type and color and shape and form and 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 things like that. And that was kind of there was there was hints of that in the scrapbooking that people were doing. The hobby, right, in the beginning was I'm gonna make these scrapbook layouts that have a base page and I'm gonna put my photos on top and I'm gonna put my little story on there. And you know, for me having a kid at that time, he, he he slept a lot. You know, I had time to actually kind of do a little bit of that stuff in that season of my life. Um, it wasn't very long after that original, the beginning where I was sharing. It's probably within the first year or so that um, I gained some attention and people were, you know, wanted to see the things that I was making um, within that online community and they have design teams. And then I got contacted by some of the scrapbooking magazines that existed at that time that don't exist any longer now. And what I thought was just going to be a hobby started becoming something that I was generating a little bit of an income from. And still at that point in time, never going, oh, I'm going to own this business and, you know, going to do this for 20 years and all those sorts of things. Uh, but that's kind of the way <laughs> the story uh, the story evolved. So it's interesting, too. You've mentioned a, a few resources that inspired you that are no longer, you said they're no longer exist, you know, these magazines or these sites. Yeah. And yet you, you're you here. You're still doing this I'm and growing and here. evolving. <laughs> yeah. What do you make of that? I think for me, I really love what I get to do. And what I do is, you know, take words and photos from my own life and and get to explore all of the different stories and get to bring in the creative part of it and encourage other people to do it. And I think over time, I've really honed my own voice in terms of what are the stories that are important to me. So when I first started, mm. the, the general idea of what people were scrapbooking at that point in time were big milestones, right? Those are the kinds of things that bring people to scrapbooking. Maybe it's a wedding or a death or a the birth of a, of a child or someone, you know, there's usually some sort of reason that somebody wants to start doing it. For me, what became the parts of it that I cared about the most were the everyday stories. Like I really wanted to document the basic stuff of everyday life. I think I've, I've always been attracted to those kinds of stories and how are people really living I think a lot about, you know, what do I wish I knew about my mom when she was whatever age I'm at, right? What, you know, what are the things I wish I knew? And those are the kinds of stories that I want to tell. And those are more often feelings-based stories and stories about what are the rhythms and the routines of our everyday life look like. And that's really, that kind of became the voice that I think attracted a lot of people, that it was a different way of approaching scrapbooking Mm -hmm. that made it less about telling the stories of other people and more about telling the stories of of myself and doing it for me rather right. than I'm going to make this you know I I've never been like this is for my kids I'm going to give this for my kids for me it's I'm going to tell these stories I'm the main character I this is the way that I um understand my life this is the way that I make sense of things um over the years 
I've just continued to do what I started to do earlier on. You know, some of that has been because I became the the main income generator in my family um, w- with my first husband, Simon's dad, uh, enabled him to be able to run for public office, which was something that he was interested in doing. And so for me, at a certain point, it became I I couldn't stop doing it because now it was my job and this was how we, I was supporting my family. And then I end up getting a divorce. And then thank, thankfully, I had this whole thing set up where I was able to, to keep going. And so I think consistency has always been a key um, for me, continuing to show up for the mm. community, continuing to show up for the projects. Um, that I've created, things like that. Pulling the lens back a little bit, what are some of the misconceptions that people may have about what you do? Because I, I think there is a little bit of, oh, scrapbooking. And I even had yeah. a family member that when she'd come in town, she'd have a big fold-out table and she'd get all this stuff. It was like a whole, she needed space for yeah. all of this stuff. And it was kind yeah. of a joke with the family, yeah. but it was her yep. jam. Yeah. So what, what are some of the common misconceptions, just to kind of build on what you're saying about your version of memory keeping? Oh God, there's so many. Like, I I remember telling stories in the past. I used to travel a lot for scrapbooking and I would go to scrapbook stores. They're, this is back in more of the heyday, right? When there's magazines and we had local scrapbook stores, not just a Michaels, but you know, an individual person that owned right. a scrapbook store. And I would travel and teach at those. And I would get on the airplane and you know have a conversation with the person sitting next to me and what are you doing? And I'm, I'm going to teach a scrapbooking class. And then I get all kinds of crazy looks and because everybody has an image in their head of what that looks like, right? It either is, um, you know, using fancy scissors to cut, create, you know, your picture, right? <laughs> You're laughing. I can see you laughing. Totally. You know, to I've cut, got those to, scissors. <laughs> yeah, right? And do you cut the people out? And I don't know if it's like, it's just not cool. Like, it's not a cool hobby kind of thing, right? Like, you know, oh, I'm a... You know, if you if you say I love to journal, even that sounds different than I love to scrapbook. You know, like it just everybody's going to have their own vision of what that is in their head. And it, I this is so this sounds so crazy, but I feel like it's taken me years and years to really <laughs> embrace what I actually do um, and how much I actually love it and love to see those people with their getting their tables out and setting it up and and I think you know for me it's become more a celebration of letting people love what they love right and love what they want to do and if you're somebody that wants to get you know take pictures and get them out and glue stuff down and that sounds awesome and if you're somebody that doesn't want to do that that sounds awesome too like there's all kinds of misconceptions, right? That it, but there's also things that are true about it. It tends to be women, right? It's mostly women. We have some mm-hmm. men in our community, but it's mostly women. Uh, most of the people in my particular community are probably between 40 and 80, so an older, an older segment of the population. And there are some younger people that are becoming more interested in in like memory keeping, right? And they're doing bullet journaling and they're doing other sorts of memory planning things with planners like that's a probably a segment of the community has moved into like planners as a as a place for your holding your memories um which i'm not personally as interested in that i'm still more interested in like give me a big photo let's write some stuff on top of the photo let's tell a longer story let's have the facts and the feelings here not just here's the facts like let's you know tell tell me more of the story both as a way for me to understand myself but also for other people to be able to understand uh, me too 
It's interesting you talk about it not being cool. And I, I just got my brain thinking a little bit about how we can get a little elitist about creativity, but also totally. very judgmental totally. around creativity. But that no matter what, I mean, I know this is someone who's been in the mental health space for a long time, that any expression of creativity is fabulous for your mental health. And yet we there's so much shoulds and judgment on that. And so um, sometimes people are shy about doing this. I've noticed that people are like, you know, I scrapbook when they tell me. Yeah. They're like almost like nervous to tell me to. Well, I think one of the things too is like you were saying in the beginning where you were talking about you, you've purchased products and so much of it is is good intention, right? That I think many people approach it or they will buy the things because they like the idea of it or like they, they or they think it's something that they should be doing, right? Like you should be scrapbooking for your children, which I don't believe that at all. I still say you should do it for your, just for yourself. Um, but those, those, those good intentions, right? Those people have good intentions that they want to dive into it. And so then part of what happens is people become almost like hoarders, right? Like you're just, you're collecting all of the supplies and that, yeah, yeah that becomes the hobby in yes, and of itself. Hi, I'm raising my hand yes. right now. And so <laughs> I'm constantly, that's one of my refrains that I'm constantly, you know, just being like, stop worrying about the stuff print some pictures, get some words down. Like that's the core of what we do. Uh, you can add all of the creative stuff on top if you want. You know, you can bring in the, you can do mixed media, you can do stickers, you can do whatever you want. But really the core of it is the the words and the photos are the part that that are the most important piece of it. And, you know, there, there are lots of people who are memory keepers, probably more men too, you know, that would just do it in a journal and maybe they're sticking a, pic a picture down and then they're writing. They're not adding in all of the product. Um, and the product is a piece of the business, right? The, the business is mm. selling the product. I am also big on education, so I would actually rather do more education than, than product. Um, but that's also a piece of it. So it's a piece of the, we can talk more about that too. <laughs> For sure. Well, and, and as I'm listening to you, how has your approach to memory keeping, right, where, like you are the story, more a holistic, not just the facts, but the feelings, how has all of that influenced how you hire and lead your team in your business? So I went for many years where it was just me, many years where I just, I did everything, right? I wrote the blog oh, posts, I created the classes, I this was pre-social media. This would have been pre-social media time. So, you know, it was like I was doing the kidding. I was doing any of that kind of stuff. And I had hired a nanny when my daughter was born. And that person actually ended up becoming the first person that I hired. And she's still my main um, employee now, 14 years later. She's like the boss. She's she has become my boss, which I kind of like having a boss. Like, it's kind of nice to have somebody just tell me what to do. Uh, because as I've learned over the years, I am a creative person. I am more of a creative person than a business person. And she has a business mind. And so she now has become the person that does the vast majority of our communication with partners and and different things like that. So the growth of our of my company has been really organic. It's not... I'm not a fast growth person. I am not a like, go, 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 build, build, build. That's not my vibe. I would much rather be in it for the long haul and have a more sustainable, um, intentional, have more sustainable, intentional growth. And so Katie then, she it was she and I for many years, probably maybe 10 years before we hired 
two other people that now, so I have a team of four um, in addition to other people that do creative projects for us, but the four people that are, you know, social media, um, some per, a person that handles some of our product stuff and, uh, and then Katie who does a lot of it. And then me just, I just want to make projects. That's kind of where I'm at in, <laughs> in my season now is I just want to make, the, I want to make the stuff. Um, so that's, we've kind of moved into a space where that's what I'm able to do now, which has been really amazing too. Are there ever times where your your team's like, no, that's not profitable or no, we need to focus on this? Or do they just like let you do you and then kind of work things out so that because, again, what a, a business isn't a business unless yep. it's it is making a profit that's and correct. paying people well. Yep. Yeah. Versus a hobby. So how do you stay in that? Yeah. So the structure of the way that we have set this up um, is about nine years ago now, we partnered with another company. So we have partnered with a company that does our manufacturing, that does our distribution, that does our customer service, uh, because those are all things that I am not interested in doing necessarily. Like I could, if we need to, you know, we would figure it out and we would get a fulfillment center and we would do all of those things, but we were able to partner with a company that does that for us. So most of the time, the things that are really related to the finances or related to whether or not something is going to be profitable profitable comes from um, that relationship. So in our own four-person team, we're more, we are focused on community, we're focused on content, um, we're focused on balance. There are definitely times where we feel like we're doing too many things and which areas can we pull back on. And then that's a lot of the communication that Katie now does with our partner company to say, you know, these are our boundaries on these. We don't want to do this. Yes, we want to do this. What about this? Um, and I'm in and out of those conversations. So I, I was in those conversations for many years. I just want to make sure that's super clear. And then in the last couple of years, I think post-COVID, um, I've been able to pull back some of what I have to do in terms of those interactions so that I can focus more on here's our established projects. We know we're going to do these projects again. What do I want to bring to those projects this year in terms of the content um, that I want to share or the creative ideas that I want to share? Thanks for sharing that back end. I think a lot of us start off when we're starting our businesses doing everything and it's of course not sustainable. And then no. it's, sometimes it's hard to let go, yep. but finding people we trust, it makes it a lot easier and that know us and know our business. So definitely hearing that a lot has changed in your life since you started your company. And, you know, no, so you're, you're a mentor to many on chronic chronicling our lives. And I'd love for you to walk me through your process discerning how you teach which stories to share publicly and which ones just need to remain private. I mean, you started this, I mean, you were in the blogging heyday, which yeah. was still, but now it's like, you know, even magnified more. And I, I think that sometimes that's a struggle for folks to discern. And I'd love to hear how you mentor and lead others on discerning that. These days, what I, what I say to most people is, is the reminder that we don't need to share every single story, right? That it's up to each one of us individually to decide how we want to share publicly, you know? And in scrapbooking, it's kind of interesting because when we're sharing stories via scrapbooks, you know, some people are including their journaling, some people are blocking out their journaling that might be on their project. Um, so there are lots of different ways that people can still share their projects and keep some of those personal stories private. For me, I have always 
the stories that I share, I want there to be lessons in them. So I think that Mm. that goes, that's a part of the calculus of me deciding what stories that I want to share. Not every, obviously, I'm going to the grocery store today. There might not be a lesson in that. But I think that that's in, (laughs) you know, in, in my brain in terms of, okay, here's a story that I feel like I want to share. And some of them are significantly more vulnerable than others. Um, I've shared a lot of stories about my son, Simon, which you and I were talking about previously. Um, He was diagnosed with autism when he was two and a half and he's 21 now. And I've shared quite a few stories of him over the years, which I know from, you know, comments from other people that that has helped many people under, you know, see a different side of autism or understand it in a way that they may not have looked at it before. Maybe they don't have anybody in their lives who has autism, which these days seems crazy. Um, yes. But really yes. being, yeah, right. <laughs> but um, my approach to documenting Simon and to telling his story from my perspective, right, that's the only way that I can do it is, you know, from my perspective as his mom has really always been to celebrate him, to 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 talk about the things that are hard or to acknowledge the things that are hard. But I also am not detailing every piece of his IEP meeting as I tell the story, right? The story that I would tell about that is look at these 10 people around this table for this IEP individualized education program for this IEP meeting. I'm so thankful for these teachers. I'm so thankful for this, um, you know, opportunity to advocate for him. Like that's the kind of story that I would tell about an IEP meeting rather than, um, he can't sit in his chair right now. Like we're struggling with getting him in his chair or something like that, right? I'm conscious of the stories that I'm telling and I'm wanting to tell them in a way that that sheds light on the hard pieces and the pieces that are are really good about it too because there's always both, right? Both are always a piece of of the story of our lives overall. So yeah, there's always a calculus that goes into it. One of the big things for me is I have a blended family now. So I've been remarried seven or so years ago now. And that brings me up to the five kids. So I have three additional children now. And I'm significantly more private about them than I have been about my biological children. Mm -hmm. Partly because I recognize more that it's their story to tell, right? More of their story than, than, than my story. And so there are parts that I include of them but it's just different. It's a, I, I am very conscious of it and I ask for permission. And these are all kids now that are 14 and older too. So they have all of their own ideas and things they want to do. And so I will go, you know, if, if I'm working on a project, so one of the projects I do is called Week in the Life, where I pick one week each year and I just do a deep dive, a deep storytelling dive. Like these are the rhythms of our life right now. I'm taking pictures of lots of things. You know, this is our schedule and this is what's happening. And like during that week, I like heads up to the kids, you know, can I take a picture of you to add into today's story? Or, you know, can I take a picture of you doing this? Um, Mm -hmm. So lots of asking permission uh, for those sorts of things, especially involving uh, the kids now, too. My daughter will instruct me. I'll ask her if I can take a picture. She's like, sure. But if you share it, no caption, please. Yeah, I get I get. But sometimes we even with something, if I share here on the podcast or anywhere else in, in a talk I give. I say, I'm going to share my experience about being your mom. This is about me. Here's what I'm sharing. Yes. But this is from my perspective. I'd, I'd like 
you know, and, and sometimes she'll say, OK, I get that. But can you leave that story out? And we'll we'll talk about it. Um, and I feel like that that I'm glad there's a growing conversation about that with parents sharing their kids on social media. And I think, I think for folks that have unique experiences or experiences that can feel very isolating or lonely, it helps when others share their experiences like you raising your kid who has autism. And I, I want to just pull it back, though, when you initially were thinking about sharing about Simon's autism diagnosis, what what were you afraid of? Was there initial fear of like, okay, I'm going to share this? Was there any of that? Or was it already you're so in the reps of your rhythms that it felt natural? I don't think that it's so it's so interesting to think about it because the world was such a different place even then, right? That's 2003, um, 2004 when he was diagnosed. So early blogging days for me, uh, no social media. Um, it felt very natural to just be like, this is the next piece of the story, right? Like, this is the next chapter. And I think that I was just like, this is happening to me. This is happening, you know, this is happening to me in my life. And I probably needed an outlet. And that was a very natural outlet for me at that point in time. And I got really lucky because what happened over the years was just support you know, support for mm. him, support for me. When I post about him now, even as a 20-year-old, those are always the posts that get the most engagement. Like people love hearing about him and what's happening to him and, you know, where, what he's, you know, what success and success in quotations, what success he's found in his own life. And um, is he aware of that? Is he aware of this yes. community that? Mm-hmm. Okay. How's he feel? How does he feel about it? I think that he loves it, actually. And it could have gone either way, right? It could have been that he was like, this is not, I don't, don't talk about me. But he's way more, share my story, you know, share, like, I love Star Wars, talk more about Star Wars. Um, I really recognize that it could have been a negative thing. But it was, a, it ended up being a really positive thing, I think, for both of us to feel that love in a in a different way and to know that there were people in the world that were cheering him on and cheering me on as we were moving through those different stages which we had personal friends but I don't know about your experience my experience when he was younger and reflecting back on it now is my husband and I did a lot of self isolation uh, because he was hard as a little kid and you couldn't like we stopped we stopped going to church you know things like that that just the transitions were so hard i mean it, it's when I think it's such a different season that I'm in right now, it's hard, it's almost hard to remember back to it. But it was, there was a lot of isolation. We did not take advantage probably of the community of people that would have really loved on us if we would have been more open and honest about what was happening. Um, you know, if I'm thinking about real life versus the online life. And so in the online life, there was a lot of support and there was cheering on and there was, you know, acknowledgement mm -hmm. of this, this, this thing that was happening. I think the isolation was real for us. We just had part of that was we need to regroup and be picky because it got hard when we were trying to help our daughter be someone she wasn't. Yeah. And so, and we were around spaces that wanted yes. her to sit in the chair yes. to do the thing. Yes. Yes. And so we kind of had to regroup season where it was like, this is we're on lockdown. We're going to, and then we're going to be really picky on who we invite in these four walls. Cause this is our sacred space. Yeah. And, and then slowly, slowly sharing that. And so, so yeah, I, I, 
I, I resonate with that too. And it sounds like that your your memory keeping practice, it felt natural. Yeah. Would the same apply to when you shared your divorce too, that you were getting a divorce? I think so, because for me, like I had already made the choice at a certain point in time early on that I was going to be public with my story, right? And public with restraint, right? I'm Again, I was never, ever the person that went on and was like, here are all the sh- the bad things that are happening, you know, in our lives, or here's all the negative stuff. Like, that's not ever been the way that I approached it. That's a really good way of saying that. Thank you. Yeah. I was gonna say, that's a good way of saying that restraint. Like, I noticed that in preparing for our conversation, you have a way of sharing what's going on, but it's, I don't feel like I'm getting fire hosed with yeah. the details. I feel like there's always, per- like, um, you know, this, there's, there's, a con- like an expectation. I'm not going to go, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, oh. Yeah. Or like, oh, you overshared. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Yes. And and I know that's, that's subjective, but there is this sense of, hey, this is what's happening in my life. Yeah. It was just a high, it was like the highlights yeah. for us. And, and maybe, and no doubt those that are in your inner circle knew the play by play, but it was this subtle kind of way of expressing yourself that feels like almost a masterclass prior to social media of for those who want to share something personal, but not private and, and finding that, that boundary and also getting permission and consent from those involved in your story. It's that interesting tension. So, so yeah, so it's interesting that those reps that you put in, that it would have been unnatural to not share the divorce or or Simon. I mean the the divorce for sure because that was that would have been in like 2011. And so I I've had or I had had a public facing experience that included my family regularly, right? I'm regularly posting about what's happening with us, what we're doing, where we're going, you know, what whatever mm-hmm. season we were in. And so for me to not have a post or not share that that was the next chapter that we were entering uh would have been i just it wouldn't even have been possible like it would have been so inauthentic for me to not do that leading is hard (laughs) leading is also often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values your mission and your boundaries Navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence, clarity, and calm. And I know you don't mind making the hard decisions, but sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. Finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex and polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small. Leading today is not a fancy title or fluffy bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster a hope that is actionable and aligned. So when the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead, when time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity, then Unburdened Leader Coaching is for you 
and where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than you were taught. To start your Unburdened Leader coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free connection call. I can't wait to hear from you. I guess my other question is too, like in a world where the critics seem to be like, like this is like full on blood sport now, let's see who we can take down. Have you noticed the critics? Yeah. Oh yeah. They're totally Like when they're, people comment oh, yeah. or DM, has that increased? Um, I, let's see. Because I, because I've been around, you know, pre-social media, like social media definitely amped everything up, right? And gave everybody opportunities to say things. Um, I have a, I'll tell, here's a specific story for you. So, so my, my first husband, Chris, when he, um, he was in public office, so he did end up running for office and, and was elected as, to a state uh, position. And we are on the left side of the spectrum. And so when Barack Obama ran, uh, we were very excited and we, he came to town. And so we went, were able to go to that. And then the day before the election, we, I kind of did like a day in the life thing of like, this is what we're doing. You know, we had gone to a local polling place. Like we had done some things that were related to what his responsibilities were. And, you know, my, this is my partner and this is my person and this is my life. And these are the kinds of things I care about. And, and I wrote a blog post just kind of detailing what we had done, um, and probably a little bit of my excitement over the result of the election. And uh, that was one, that was definitely an eye-opening experience for me um, in the comments in terms of the way that people really let it fly. And this was, er this is earlier on. And, you know, there'd already been trolls and people like that and everybody that, uh, but I made a choice pretty early on that I didn't, wasn't going to listen to any of that. Like, these are not people that I know. And if they are, then that's, I can't control any of that. Um, but the, the, the blog post that was definitely a, a reminder to me that not everybody is a cheerleader for Allie's storytelling. <laughs> you know, that's a good example of my story, right? This is my story. This is what we did. This is not me saying, ha ha ha, yay, Barack Obama won and, you know, your candidate lost. It was more like, this is what we're doing in our lives right now. We're going to the polling places. We're going to do this. We're, you know, we're voting. We're excited, blah, blah, blah. And uh, people didn't like that. You were in editing your life. You were consistent with what you've been doing. Yes. And and then for the for the first time in such a magnitude, people were like, "We don't like what you're doing with your life." Yes. And but because you had this practice so embedded, you're like, "Well, that's not up for negotiation. This is my life." Yes. And I think that's a really good kind of whatever we share, forward facing in any capacity. If we're sharing for the validation or for the approval, or if we're not really clear in who we are and our values, man, that vitriol can. You know, it can feel like just a, a rocky day at the beach. And so. Yeah. yeah. And I, I definitely yeah. think that there have been times, you know, over this 20 year experience where those pieces of it, I held on to the negative things that people were saying, you know, for better or worse than that influence, like just t talking about that. But it definitely I felt like after that, it presented me with a choice where I was 
I, I feel like I actively chose to not talk about politics in that sort of way. Um, and I, and now that social media is around, like, I've, you know, there's been, it's just different now. I want to shift a little bit to um, an experience you had right before the pandemic in 2019. And, and maybe this is just my understanding of the Home Shopping Network, but it's like, <laughs> if someone gets on the Home Shopping Network, it's like Mecca, you know, it's like, this is, you've arrived, you know, and so you had this collaboration. I'm curious what you were weigh- weighing the trade-offs were. I've just heard from folks who like the Oprah effect or when they yeah. go on HSN yeah. and how, if they're not prepared, yeah. how that it can be so exciting and you totally. think this is like a great thing. But if you're not prepared, if you don't have that kind of demand mm-hmm. and it, inventory support yeah. systems, yeah. all of it in place. So that's really a wondering for you. Were you aware of the thing? Like, yeah, what were the trade-offs you were wearing as you worked on this deal and prepared your team for this increased exposure? So what I would say about that, the entire experience was that the first thing for, I think, for you to know and for anybody to know is that being on HSN or doing something like that was never, has never been my dream. That wasn't something that I was working for. It was someone else's, someone else's end game, right? Somebody else's dream. And and especially in terms of our, of our partner company. And if they were on here, we would laugh about this too, because I think that it was something that they, they had wanted to do more wholesale stuff and we, from our team, are like, we're fine with direct-to-consumer. We love direct-to-consumer. This is what we do or what I do goes a lot deeper than surface-level scrapbooking. The problem for us with HSN was that I could go on there, I could talk about the projects that I do, but it takes more explanation. And so for many people, and, and the people mm. that are buying on HSN, they are after quantity often, right? Quantity, low price with big quantity of stuff. And for me, that doesn't necessarily feel like it's in alignment with the kinds of things that I actually Ah. am teaching and offering. So that experience was awesome. I'm so happy that I got to do it, that I got to go there, that I got to be on and, and see what it was. But the reality is, is that our products didn't sell very well. And the reason why, in my opinion, that they didn't sell oh. very well is because there's so much more heart that goes into it on the other end that can't be communicated in a five-minute product promotion sort of thing. So we could say, here's our day in the life kit. This is the heart behind it. Let me tell you about it. But that's not, it's not the same sort of thing that does, that is, can be really successful um, on HSN. Well, I feel like that lands with kind of what we're seeing, that there's this interesting clash of, you know, low fee, high volume, faster, bigger, better, more, not high quality, stuff, 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 consume, consume, not worrying about the impact, the relationship. And you're like, and so you had this really, like on the surface level from a, from maybe you people like, this is a big deal. You're going to make so much money, you know, all these things. And you're like, meh. This wasn't a good well, and, fit, is what I'm. Mean. Yes, I, and that's that, yeah. To me. I, that's what that is my opinion on it, and and I went into it going, okay, you know, I'll do this, I'll go on there, let's see what happens, um, but also not necessarily expecting that we were going to have that kind of Oprah story. Like if that would have happened, we we did have infrastructure in place, like the 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 partner company that we work with, like we could have scaled up, like those things could have happened. But we were also, we've also always been doing really fine 
taking care of the community of people that we have. And I maintain that my time- It was working. Yeah, that my time is better spent, you know, in conversation with the people that really, really want to be there um, and that have an interest Mm. in the kinds of things that I'm talking about and the kinds of things that I'm encouraging and advocating versus, you know, spending $50 to get 1,000 scrapbook products. And that works for other people. And I don't want to discount that at all. Like there are other people that, number one, consumers that want that. And number two, people that want to sell that. And that just to me is not, it's not sustainable either um, for the kind of work that I want to do. I would say for just about anybody, to be honest with you, but that's my two cents. I I think that's so interesting because there's this sometimes this value judgment that more is better. And for the way that you, like I'm just hearing it, it's about relationship. It's about connection. It's about story. And it's about moments. And that's not something you scale. Yeah. That's not high volume. No. And no. And more is just more. That's totally, I mean, that's exactly how I feel. More is more. I mean, we would love to have more people join our community. Like we would love to have more people that are interested in doing memory keeping, you know, in the style that I do it, or people that are interested in valuing their story in that way. Like that, that's awesome. But I don't, it, going on HSN was not necessarily the avenue to make that happen. What is the more that you're seeking? That's kind of an interesting takeaway. Like, what's the more that you're seeking? And is that aligned with your values? What matters? Yeah. Um, your business, your life. So that's 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 a great reflection. All right. I'm really excited about checking in on this part because I have been with you since 2006 when you started the One Little Word Project. And it actually, the last handful of years, it's been something that has been really meaningful for me. I, I'd love for you just to talk about what was going through your head when you started this project and how is one little word different maybe from setting resolutions or goals? So the whole concept of, of one little word is just simply picking a word for the year that you are going to have a relationship with. Uh, back in 2006, the the whole idea of it and, and resolutions, I'm not really interested yes. in doing that, right? Or even goals. Like I'm not much of a goal setter. Like that just is not I'm for as for as type A as I am, like there's something about that that doesn't resonate. So I love words though, and I love talking about words and I love reading and I love writing. And so the the idea of picking one word, um, that I could focus on each year that would be just a companion, right? That I would, I'm gonna walk, I'm gonna walk through this particular year, this manufactured timeline that we have um, and see what can I learn, right? What can I learn from having this word as my partner? Uh, What can I invite into my life that's, you know, related to this word? And so I did it for a few years, just like on my blog, you know, here, I'm gonna pick a word, you guys wanna pick a word, let's see what happens. And, you know, I would write a little bit about it. And then in 2011, I started doing a workshop um, with it, a year-long workshop. And what that did is is really offer the opportunity to return to my word each month and to document something. Mm -hmm. So I am a documenter. I like to have uh, evidence, evidence of my existence, right? Evidence of this relationship with a word. And so for me... Um, you know, having a notebook or having a 
an album where each month I have a creative prompt or some sort of a prompt. It could be writing. It could be photography related. It could be something more mixed media. You know, those are the kind of the options that we look at. Uh, just a simple prompt that makes me say, okay, you know, my word this year is joy. Um, you know, what, how, how did I, how did I connect with joy this month? What did joy look like this month to me? Um, Am I not feeling any joy? You know, am I feeling a lot of joy? Like it's it's really just an opportunity to have a relationship with a specific word. And so now I've been doing that for how, you know, all of these years now. And I have a, an album for each year that those are really where my more personal stories are getting told. My more private stories are told in mm. that album. The stuff, you know. Uh, the things that I'm personally struggling with get documented in that project. And then I'm sharing it within this, you know, within a closed community of people who have signed up and said, yes, I want to be a part of this. And um, those are some of my most favorite projects because they really are evidence of my personal development and evidence of the questions that I've asked and the things that have been answered and not answered over the years. And um big community around that too, which has been, been really amazing. I appreciate hearing how you have some projects that you do that are like public projects, but some of it's just for you and maybe a small group of people. I think that's a, a really good reminder too. And yeah, developing a relationship with a word has really been helpful, almost like a, a, a little offshoot of values mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, you talk about like once you choose your word, your process, but walk me through your process in choosing mm your one little word year after year? It's actually, so now that I've been doing it for so long, it it's a part of how I live my life, right? In terms of seasonal routine. So this is, we're recording this in September and this is about the time of the year where I start thinking about maybe what do I want to focus on next year? So this year, my word has been joy. I actually don't do a lot of active things. Like I don't have a process. What I really do is I just listen. I like to get quiet in my life and I like to listen and pay attention to like, oh, okay, what are the themes that are coming up? What's something that I would like to work on next year? Is there something that's very obvious? Um, is there something that that I'm getting an inkling of that that maybe would be good for me to focus on? In some years, I'm picking something that is easy and I mean easy in quotations like is, is, a, is not a like a deep dive word or it's not, you know a hard, a more challenging word. It's like, oh, this year I want ease. So I'm going to focus on something that's easy and that's something that can be joyful or whatever. And maybe in another year, I'm going to pick a word that is going to challenge me in a in a in in the ways that I need to be challenged, right? We all need to be challenged in certain ways. And so I just do a lot of listening. I'm just mm-hmm. a lot of like, hmm. And then I have a note, you know, I keep some notes of like, oh, maybe this one, maybe that one, maybe this one. And knowing that any one of those words could absolutely be a word that I could live with, it just at the end, I, f- I have to choose one. I just got to pick one in, in, in order to move forward with the project. I love the emphasis on listening and noticing and those little glimmers, those little little surges in our heart, like, oh, that word, there's something about that. Like, like, I, like ooh, I'm craving that mm-hmm. or I'm repelled from that yep. or and just noticing that and listening to what our body and our souls, our hearts are telling us that um, yeah, you've got those reps in deeply, it sounds like, and something we all could do better. How has this practice of choosing your word, this listening and noticing impacted how you lead yourself and lead others? I think 
I have always strived to be the kind of leader that does listen, right? And that is taking the temperature. I'm a temperature-taking person. And I, mm. I'm i noticing that more. So Simon, my my son that has 21, he doesn't live here anymore. So he moved out last year into an independent living program. And I have just really noticed how much temperature taking I did with him. I mean, even with all the other kids, but with him the most, always taking so his true. temperature, right? Always like, how is he doing? How is he feeling? How is he, you know, is he okay today? What what do I need to strategize with him? What do I, you know, so so all of that all of that is a is a piece now that he's moved out that I'm like, oh, I was doing that all the time. Uh, you know, that was the temperature taking. But I think that that's what I do in my business. That's what I do with my community. That's what I do with my family is kind of taking people's temperature, seeing, you know, I think that that might be one of my skills too is is seeing what is the overarching mood? What is the overarching um, feeling in our house right now or, you know, in, in the business? And how can I adjust that? Um, and I think that that's the kind of of leader that I am now. And I this is the first time I've even ever articulated that. So I appreciate you f- asking me these questions too. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a big temperature taking is a big is a big piece of of what I do. A lot of people take the temperatures of those around them as a protective measure and accommodate to them. What do you do? with that data? And how do you stay anchored in who you are as you're navigating others' experiences and their quote-unquote temperatures? I think that I definitely trust my gut. And I have also learned that I am not always right. So especially for me having teenagers and the experience of a blended family with teenagers and a blended family that honestly, the my blended people have some different values than I do. That has been the best lesson for me, very brutal in many ways, but the best lesson of learning that I'm not always right. And that even if my gut says something, it's made me question, why does my gut actually say that? So I ask myself a lot of questions. Like I'm, um, I do pay attention to that, to that a lot, but knowing that I'm not always right these days makes me ask other questions too. Um, I don't take the temperature and then internalize. Like I think what I do is I take the temperature and then I strategize, right? There's an there's an outward um, you know, what can I how can I help this situation? And, and maybe helping this situation might be not doing anything, right? Is is backing off and actually taking my voice out of the equation. Um, it's learning when to show up and learning when to back off. I feel like that's a powerful way of just you're collecting data and then assessing what's my what's my role, what's not my role. I'm hearing that from yeah. you. Where can I support and where do I need to back off? And I, I I just love that. And some of that has been learned through overstepping, right? I mean, I've learned that through overstepping <laughs> and going, oh, I have trained mm. myself to pay attention to stories. I am always looking, you know, what is the story that's happening in my life right now? Like even before we got on this call, I was... I was making a list of things that I wanted to document. And it was things like I went around today and I opened all the windows because it's fall. And it was also, um, you know, specific things about 
this kid and this kid and things that I just wanted to get out of my head and my heart and get onto a page, not necessarily that it would become in a scrapbook situation, but that I can then better understand the totality of the story that we are all living in um, right now. And I think that that's a huge, like to me, that is the the memory keeping, like it serves a purpose rather than just yay scrapbooking, right? Like yay product and yay all of that. Uh, yeah. It's not a vanity metric for you. This is this is inside outside mirror work. It's they're anchoring internally, externally. I'm seeing yeah. that now. Yeah. That's really helpful. As as we wrap up, I'm just curious about your understanding of success and how that's changed since you were younger. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I got lots of thoughts on that one, too. I know I said in the beginning, like, I came from a family that was very externally motivated with high expectations. And my parents were also very strict. And I've been doing a lot of unlearning related to teenagers of uh, rope letting and, you know, things I have no control over and I just need to back off. Um, where my parents didn't back off, you know, this is this is a lot of the a lot of the stories that I'm in right now are those kinds of of stories, and I think that I definitely have had visions of what success looked like. Right, it looks like financial success often, or you know, notoriety, those sorts of things. I think when I was younger, I thought of it like that. One of the biggest absolute shifts for me, and I don't think you will be surprised about this, is having a, a child with special needs and reimagining what success is going to look like for them. You know, for Simon, what we have always wanted for him and what we've been saying out loud since very early on is how can we help him be successful in whatever that is going to look like for him? It is probably not going to be the traditional definition of success that other people are striving for, that other families' children are striving for, which I've like kind of let go of a lot of that now. Um, you know, his success is going to look completely different, but I want whatever that is going to look like for him. That's what I want for him. So, you know, what are the ways that I can help him get there? Um, so success can be, you know, getting your driver's license and success can be, it just doesn't always have to be this big overarching I win. I win the internet, right? Like that's what success is. Like it's so many more small little things. Um, and those are the things that I want to notice, right? Those are the, the, that's what success is to me. All these different little things or things that happen for their kid, my kids where something that I'm like, oh, that's a win for you. Like that was a success for you and wanting to be able to acknowledge them. So bringing it down, I think to significantly more small successes and then taking all of the small successes and then bringing them together collectively to, you know, feel success in ourselves and on a bigger level. Yeah. And our kids internalize that, the world's definition of success of, you know, whatever the perfect grades or the achievements or the accomplishments. And, and it feels like it's almost maybe condescending or patronizing or minimizing like a driver's license or an accomplishment here. But I, I love, though, like, it's, to me, parenting has helped me redefine my definition yes, of success yes. and not put put that on my kids. And they're teaching me what success is. And that is the relationship, yep. right? Yep. It's the relationship. Yep. It's not for other people to have an opinion of are they succeeding or not? You know, it's yep. like, really, there's so much wrapped up in that. So, all right, before we wrap up, I've got some quick fire questions okay. that I love to ask guests. And I'd love to know. What are you reading right now? So I just, right on topic, I just finished reading Emotional Lives of Teenagers, 
by Lisa Damore. So if you haven't read any of her books. So good. So good. They're so good. That one. And then the one I'm so starting oh, right yeah. now is uh, Remarkably remarkably Bright Creatures, which is Shelby Van Pelt. And I think it's about an octopus. It's for my book club. So that's my next one. Nice. What song are you playing on repeat right now? The song I'm playing on repeat right now is uh, it's called Daylight by David Kushner. And the reason why I'm listening to that is because I'm taking our girls to his concert. It's like somebody that they're really into. And so I'm trying to learn his songs before we go to the concert. But it's a cool song. David Kushner is uh, his name. Yeah. What is the best TV show or movie you've seen recently? I love TV. I watch a lot of TV. Uh, actually, my husband and I do. And I was trying to figure out, like, what is the what's the thing that I've loved the most? So a couple, th- two of them that I picked out were The Bear, which I probably people have. I don't know if you've seen that. Legend status. Legend. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, yeah. obviously. OK, that one. And then the other one, which I just thought was so great, was Jury Duty. Um, that's on Amazon. Oh, my gosh. That was a surprise. Right. That one surprised me. See, I love the creative it was ones so smart. like that. Yeah, I'm like, give me more of that. Yes, that was really good. So those were two. Those are kind of semi-recent. Yeah. What is your favorite 80s pop culture or at least pop culture from your childhood? I have two. Number one is Goonies, the All movie right. Goonies, which I went and saw Hello. in the movie theater last week with Simon, with Katie, with, <laughs> with some of our other kids. Amazing. And then if just 16 Candles. It's just so ridiculously classic that yeah you know doesn't all of it doesn't age well but it's still it does not it age does well not and age there's well. some legend yes, status right? moments the and yes. that is definitely the <laughs> and on that one what is your mantra right now my mantra right now is let it be enough that's my mantra right now Ooh. that's actually like for for one that's little word one. this month that's what my practice has been to just acknowledge when things are enough in many areas what is an unpopular opinion that you hold? So I think you're going to laugh. I literally had to look up. I was like, what are unpopular opinions? <laughs> I was trying to think of like what. You Googled it. I did. I Googled it. And so then I got a whole list of stuff. And so then I, I laughed really hard. So one of the ones that I picked off the list because I couldn't think of something else was um, Apple Music is better than Spotify. So my kids all use Spotify. They all listen. I, and I don't use Spotify anymore. I only use Apple Music. So we've got a, like a divided household. I don't really care, but if I had to pick, I would pick Apple Music over Spotify. <laughs> and there it is. Who or what inspires you to be a better leader and human? I think 100% Simon, my son, like just completely just having the experience of raising a special needs child and having a relationship with him and getting to now have an adult relationship with him and figure out what that looks like for us. I just it's impacted so many of the different ways that I think and the ways that I experience the world and my own level of empathy and compassion and um, probably also my tolerance for dumb stuff is just really low <laughs> after having, you know, the experience of, of having him. There's just so many things that people are worried about that just have just sort Allie, where can people find you if they want to connect with you and your work and your community? You can find me at AllieEdwards.com, which is A-L-I-E-D-W-A-R-D-S.com. And that's just where the blog is. That's where the shop is. I also have an Instagram account, which is just the same, Allie, at Allie Edwards. And that has more like personal stuff or family stuff. And then we have some business accounts, too, that you can get to from there as well. Allie, this has been such a treat of a conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 
before you go, I hope you take away a few key nuggets from today's Unburdened Leader conversation with Allie Edwards. Now we covered a lot of territory from how she leads her team, has grown her business to her commitment to telling stories through a daily practicing of noticing and recording. Allie reinforced the importance of this noticing, staying curious and connecting with the world around us in both her business, her leadership practices and parenting. And I so value the way Allie approaches documenting her life. And she does it for herself primarily and as a practice so she can continue to learn and reflect, not as a perfectionist or performative task of creating the best looking scrapbook, but as a way to connect with her values and the most important people in her life. So I'm curious, what's your approach to noticing the stories around you? What practice can you implement to help you notice what you seek and feel so you can debrief and reflect later? And what one or two or three words for the year will help you connect more deeply to your values and what you want to accomplish over the next 12 months? When we stay connected to what matters through daily practices that help us live out our values while growing and changing, not just obsessing over results and optics, we end up living a life that fulfills and has greater impact. And this is the ongoing work of an unburdened leader. Thank you so much for joining this episode of The Unburdened Leader. You can find this episode, show notes, free Unburdened Leader resources, and ways to sign up for the Unburdened Leader weekly email, and ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com. And a very special thank you to the team at Yellow House Media who produced this episode. And if you loved this episode and found it beneficial, I'd be so grateful if you took the time to rate it, review it, and share it with a few people who you think may benefit from it. Thanks again for listening.